Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. And today we'll be in chapter 22. Um, we are in Passion Week, and uh, it's an exciting time in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus is about to complete his mission, and uh, he is in, the, he's in a stark uh, contention. Um, and, and we've been uh, in this passage, and in the end of 21 the last few weeks. Um, and chapter 21 and 22 fit together uh, really um, coherently. Uh, the end of 21, there are two parables, and 22 begins with one parable. And really, all three of these parables fit together and are part of Jesus' response to the challenge of his authority. Uh, the religious leaders in the temple you remember Hosanna, he came into the city on that Palm Sunday. The children praise him. People are asking, who is this? Uh, they're speaking of the son of David. The kids are hearing what they heard and, and uh, are singing, uh, I'm sorry, singing what they heard. And the religious leaders are, are irate. They're saying, how dare they, these children sing this? And, um, and then there's the fig tree. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today because um, all three of these parables keep talking about fruitful lives and fruitfulness. And here Jesus sees a fig tree and he curses it, no fruit. Uh, well, what did he see in the temple? He went in the temple, no fruit. And um, they had all this religious activity. They had all this show. They had a lot of green, big leaves maybe, but no fruit. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. Uh, fig tree was a symbol of Israel. Uh, in the Old Testament, and he keeps talking about those who, are, who, who uh, uh, bear fruit um, and those who repent. And so we're going we're to look at this, this third parable today, um, and I'll read it uh, first, and then we'll uh, talk about it in the context with the other two parables, and then explore wh why uh, Jesus says these words at this time in his ministry. So Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. So Matthew 22, um, a wedding feast, a wedding feast. Have you ever been to a wedding? I know many of you have been to a wedding. You were at my wedding. Uh, We had about 100 guests, I think. Um, And it was a lot of work to put together a wedding feast. Uh, I talked to the manager at the hotel. I explored lots of hotels. Dilal and I both explored uh, lots of hotels throughout Kuwait. And that was quite a learning experience. Planning a wedding feast. Well, here we have a wedding feast. And there were more than 100 guests invited. And we see here a king is inviting uh, people to come to the wedding feast. Uh, But we see three primary themes in here. Invitation rejection, and then judgment. Invitation, rejection, and judgment. So we see in this parable, the king is God. Uh, God the Father, more precisely. He is patient, he is persistent, and he has been giving his kingdom invitation to his people, namely Israel, since the beginning of the Old Testament. And so God has been inviting his chosen people, uh, the children of Israel, come to the feast, come to the feast, and they've responded ultimately with no, uh, we're not coming. There's rejection. By and large, Israel rejects uh, God. And so we see in this parable the king uh, uh, and and a wedding feast. Um, This is the third of three parables. The first one, we saw late obedience. Um, Remember the two sons back in verses 28 to 32. Uh, That's a response to Jesus' direct conversation with the religious leaders in the temple. Remember, they were questioning his authority. By what authority are you doing it? Who gave you the authority to do what you're doing? And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you if you answer one question for me. And the question is all about John the Baptist's ministry Uh, Chris laid this out for us several weeks ago, uh, or was it last week? Sorry, my timing is off. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, they they basically say, if we say this, this will happen. If we say this, this will happen. Um, And so they say, we don't know. And when they say we don't know, they're actually saying we're not going to tell you. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you either. Um, And then the conversation doesn't end. Jesus goes on to tell these three parables. So he talks about the two sons. One says, no, father, I'm not going to go. And then he has a late obedience. He does go. Um, And the word here, change your minds, uh, verse 32, is the word for repentance. It says, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And so the religious leaders did not repent. But the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the outsiders if you will, uh, did repent. And they're coming into the kingdom, responded to John's ministry, responded to Jesus' ministry. 
these uh, Jewish leaders did not. Uh, and then he tells the, the other parable about the, the vineyard. Um, this one, in a sentence, could be summarized as the kingdom of God will be taken away from the, um, from the hard-hearted and given to those producing its fruits. So we see that in verse uh, 43. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Now, in verse 45, it, it's, it's quite humorous, I think. Uh, it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And it's like, well, duh. I mean, he's been talking about you the whole time. Um, but they finally, they, they got a little bit of understanding here. Wow, we're in this story. And the thing that I think is really interesting about this is that Jesus speaks to them directly, and they don't answer him. He speaks to them truth indirectly, and they participate in his story. And so uh, many times if, you, if we go to someone and we just say directly, they won't uh, particularly engage, um, especially if it's conflict. But if there's an indirect way, I think Jesus is just so brilliant. And how you say, let me tell you a story, and they participate in it. And, and they, they said, well, the first, um, in the first parable. And, and they said to him again in verse 41, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. And they're speaking about themselves, uh, but they don't realize it. And so, uh, again, they fear the crowd. And so they don't challenge Jesus' authority with uh, force uh, because they held him to be a prophet. And so here at the wedding feast uh, parable, this one, the, the point of it is, many are called, but few are chosen. That's what Jesus' conclusion is. Now we need to, the question is, well, what does that mean? And we'll come to that in just a minute. But again, the feast is ready. Come to the feast, come to the feast. The prophets said this. The apostles would go on to say this, come to the feast. But uh, by and large, they said no. And there's this theme, again, of invitation, rejection, judgment. And the type of uh, rejection uh, we think about our lives, um, and look at this, this parable here. It says in verse 5, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the, uh, so th there are two types of rejection here. Um, the first one is a um, kind of a busyness, a busy indifference. And so um, there's a group of people who get the invitation in the mail or the email or the, the WhatsApp message, and they go to their farm. They go to their business. They're too busy to come to the king's feast. If we think about the average uh, unbeliever today, they're not particularly hostile to Christianity. My colleagues have never... Uh, physically harmed me. Uh, I've never even been verbally harassed by my unbelieving friends. I guess they wouldn't necessarily be friends if they harassed me. Um, but unbeliever, unbelievers don't walk up to me and harass me uh, for being a Christian or talk poorly about Christianity per se. But they are by and large focused on other things. And so if they were to uh, get the invitation, um, they wouldn't give they're all uh, deny their self um, and get rid of their idols and follow the true and living God. And so 
there's this distraction or this indifference, but there's also another type of rejection that God has experienced, and that is uh, violent indignation. And that's in verse uh, 6. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Wow. Uh, this is the case for the prophets. Um, this is the case for God's apostles. Um, the apostles, all of them, were killed for the faith, except for John, um, and he was exiled and persecuted in Acts 4. Um, and so all of them uh, experienced this, this violent uh, hostility. So there's different types of rejection. We live in a busy world. Our lives are so busy um, that we simply find no time to stop and listen, to listen to God's generous invitation. And so we need to constantly be mindful of this and stop and listen. And that's, that's a part of God's gift of Sabbath in the Old Testament. Uh, he wanted his people to be still and uh, stop this um, constant hurry up and wait, uh, hurry, 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 or this restless hurrying, uh, laboring in vain, uh, Psalm 127 would say it, in vain you rise up early, in vain you stay up late. And so how do we stop and listen? Uh, that's a really great question for our lives to ponder. Um, I found in my own personal life a Bible reading plan to be really helpful because there are different seasons in life. Uh, sometimes I'm mentally strong or physically fit, and other times I'm running low on sleep, but I have a, a Bible reading plan that I've, by God's grace, um, almost finished uh, at the end of this summer. Uh, we'll finish reading through the whole Bible, um, and it's been really helpful and anchoring for me to, to stop and listen uh, on a daily basis. We see here um, good people, quote-unquote, are doing good work, but ignoring the good news of their great God, and that, that that might possibly be the most damning influence of the world today, busyness. If we look at this parable, the word wedding is mentioned seven times. It's a big deal, um, maybe the big deal. God is inviting people into his everlasting kingdom, Revelation 19 talks about this feast as literal. Uh, there will be the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus is there, the church is there, and there is a feast. Um, so, application, don't let your occupation or your vacation, um, I'm on vacation, so don't let your occupation or your vacation preoccupy your soul. And don't lose your life by making a living or by enjoying uh, a living. So there's this great irony here that the most hostile people to the gospel in history, throughout church history, have been religious leaders. Um, but there's, here's a summary. God patiently and persistently invites Israel to the Messianic banquet. Revelation 19, we'll see it fulfilled. Well, um, most Israelites reject the invitation and God justifiably and justly judges. There is judgment um, for rejecting the king and his son. Did you catch in here uh, before, before, I mean, sometimes I think, especially in my culture, people are really sensitive to God's judgment and justice and wrath. And 
if you walk with God and his people through the Bible, you start to see, wow, I cannot believe how patient he is with his people. I would have been done about chapter, I don't know, in Genesis, I would, I'd be done. But he, he goes for a long time and he is patient and persistent. So God is the main actor here in this parable. He is ultimate and he orders and he burns. And uh, this reference to burned their city, burn their city, this literally happened in Jerusalem in the year AD 70. And so many commentators think Jesus is talking about this very real event um, that, that the rejection of God and the Messiah, uh, the King, Jesus Christ, uh, resulted in God's judgment upon his people. Now, I want to see something quite remarkable here in this parable uh, as well. Jesus, um, if you want to know the nature of God, Jesus is God incarnate, and he reveals the nature of God through what he does and who he is and what he says. But he also tells us about the Father like no one else before. Um, And here in this uh, parable, we see that God the Father is king. He is sovereign ruler. He has a son. Uh, He is gracious. He is generous. He invites. Not one time, but two. Two invitations. I mean, at my wedding, I can't imagine. I send out the the invitation and people RSVP and say, I'm going to the farm. I'm going to my business. I got to, you know, I won't be there. But, But then... He, the king ramps it up and he says, well, wait, 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 I need to tell you the perks. Like the calf is gone. It's slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Invitation number two. And so it's quite remarkable that God in his heart is an inviting God. And when we see his remarkable, when we realize his patience and his persistence, uh, I think we can submit to say, wow, how just are your ways? Your judgments are right. What you say is the right way. And he continually sends out his word. And he does it again and again and again. And the question we could ask is, why does God seek uh, rebels twice? Why does he even seek them once? Why, how is God so patient? And, and why? It, it's, quite, it's quite amazing. But at the same time, God is holy and just in his justice uh, it, is, it is just for him to reject those who've rejected his invitation and his rule. And so we see in this parable two prophecies. Uh, one is a prophecy of Israel's rejecting God's invitation. And the second is a prophecy of the last day, uh, the last days. Uh, we could call it the church age, uh, the time from that first judgment of Jer- Jerusalem in AD 70 to the final judgment. Where, where God will judge and cleanse the earth of evil and wickedness. So invitation, rejection, judgment. But there are people who don't reject. There's people who respond with repentance. And so um, the king's generous offer is extended to others. And so we see this in Verse 7, the king was angry, his judgment here. He destroyed those murderers, burned their city. Verse 8, he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So this, uh, Israel's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, 
was a tragedy, but it was also um, an open door for the world. The Jewish Messiah became the savior of the world. And that's for Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's always been God's heart from the creation, Adam and Eve, um, were to be fruitful and multiply. Every tribe, tongue, and nation has been on God's heart. He was, it was his heart to work through Israel to be a light for the nations. My house shall be a house of prayer. We saw that for all nations a couple weeks ago. But Israel, by and large, rejected this role, and God uh, is reaching the world. He's, re- he's reached many, uh, many tribes, tongues and, nation, tongues, and nation, and he's continued that work today. So uh, there's a repeated rejection of the king's generous offer. Um, and then the doors open for other guests. And it says here in verse 10, those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But Jesus doesn't end on a positive note. He doesn't end with just this full wedding feast and the wedding. He goes on with his piercing, cutting, uh, moving point. This wedding ends with tears. Uh, It ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this would be a shock to the uh, original hearers. It's a shock for us today. Not everyone who gets in stays in. Um, And bear with me while while we walk through this. So verse 7, the city is burned. And then verse 13, another judgment. Uh, Verse 13, it says, Then the king said to the attendants, attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are two pictures of hell uh, to be burned, a city burned, and then alone, isolated in darkness. Two types of poison. Um, But notice that this man gives no excuse. He is absolutely speechless. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, well, but I, he just is speechless. He knows that this is a just judgment. And that is the case for unbelievers. Uh, When they stand before God in the final judgment, when we all do, there will be no excuse, um, sufficient excuse. I, I would expect that many will have their jaws on the ground speechless. But I'm just speculating uh, as far as that response. Nevertheless, Jesus describes the seriousness and the weight of this parable with final judgment. And um, many throughout uh, history have wondered, what is this garment about? Like, okay, okay. It says here um, that, that this man got in. And the king said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? So Augustine, for example, he said this garment uh, was symbolic and it meant love. And perhaps he was alluding to Colossians 3, which talks about uh, putting on the character of Christ. Uh, Let's see here. Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as 
the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together. So Augustine thought this garment, what is the garment? He thought it meant love. Um, from scripture, Paul talks about taking off, putting on. Galatians 3.27 talks about baptism, uh, perhaps. Uh, Revelation 19 um, seems really fitting. Uh, we've talked about this wedding garment. Uh, 19.7 and 8, a lot of commentators think that it refers to good works. This garment refers to good works. And so uh, I'll just read that for you. It says here in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the, the interpretation is given us there in, in Revelation 19. Martin Luther, uh, the reformer from 500 years ago, uh, he said that the garment refers to faith. And so it's, it's uh, no righteousness of our own, but the faith that God gives us. Um, I've understood this passage, uh, the garment, to mean uh, Christ's righteousness, not our own, like the song um, that we sang. Uh, faultless to stand, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Uh, but there, perhaps, perhaps there's a lack of clarity here, and it's intentional, uh, that Jesus wants us to wander and to be arrested by this garment, to, to, to enter into a mo moment of self-reflection. So, so what do you think needs to what do you think you need to get in or stay in? Or what, what might you lack? Or what might uh, you be sure to have on? So we need to take a, take a look. Are we dressed properly? Um, not our own righteousness. Fully, do we have fully covered lives, not just lip service righteousness? Um, John Calvin, from the same era as Luther, 500 years ago, I don't have an exact quote here, but he said basically um, there's no point in arguing what the, the garment exactly means, whether it's faith or holy, godly living. Um, the point is that Christ wants us to live a renewed life by the Spirit, throw off the old garments, put on Christ in, new, in the new life. And so may our appearance... Um, May our appearance, our clothing, match the profession of our faith, our, our lips. Um, the religious leaders of their day said a lot of things that were accurate from the Old Testament. Now, granted, Jesus said many times they interpreted it wrong, and they were so irate because Jesus would give a different interpretation, different than their traditions, which was accurate. The accurate, um, he says, but I say in the Sermon on the Mount, with authority. And so uh, this whole thing about authority, Jesus doesn't exactly answer where his authority comes from, but he goes on to give three parables speaking with authority about what, is, what the reality of the situation is. And so um, in closing here, uh, do, do you want to be holy? Do you long to live a holy life? Do you long for your outward appearance to look more and more like Christ? I do, um, 
and I, I have to tell you that I'm, I'm disappointed I, with myself nearly every day. I have to apologize to God um, because I look at his word and I just see, wow, I fall short of that. But I pray that I would look more and more like Christ. And so Jesus leaves us hanging with this uh, very uh, memorable saying, uh, but it's actually a bit confusing. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So what does he mean by this? Everything, this is his conclusion. Well, Jesus, the confusing part is this. Jesus uses the word called and chosen differently than the Apostle Paul does in much of the New Testament. When Jesus uses call from the passage here, he's talking about invitation. So many are invited. Many are invited. And then he uses chosen differently because the Apostle Paul, when he says called, he means that God uh, elects, he chooses the chosen. Um, he, he speaks much about this uh, effectual type of calling. But when Jesus is speaking it here, he's talking about invitation. Many are invited, but, but chosen, Jesus is, is talking about those who persevere to the end. And he'll pick up with this language more in chapter 24 uh, in a few chapters from here. So Paul oftentimes emphasizes the divine sovereignty of God, and Jesus here is pressing our human responsibility. Uh, God does choose the chosen, but the chosen also choose God's way. And so Paul pulls us, Paul pulls us along, often gives assurance to the believer through his, uh, through the, uh, God gives us assurance through Paul's letters. Um, but Jesus here is pushing us in the narrow way. He wants us to conform to the image of himself and uh, for our lives to be like his. And so the church and the world are a mixture, weeds, wheat, uh, sheep and goats. Uh, but may we, may we, uh, may our lives be conformed to the gospel. And Jesus gives a stark warning here for the religious leaders. He says, your lives must uh, embody repentance and true righteousness that comes not from yourself, but the, the proper garments, um, I think garments of righteousness, or else uh, judgment. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you, and um, we are mortals, we are human, uh, but you have spoken into our world in, in, in history, and you've spoken, you speak to us through the Bible. And we thank you uh, that Jesus tells us the truth and uh, is not afraid of men, not afraid of men's faces. Uh, Father, we, we pray that uh, we would hear your call, uh, your invitation. You've been patient and persistent with us. Um, but would, would you help us um, to put on those, those qualities that many of the second half of, of Paul's letters say, to put on love, put on kindness, May we look more and more like Christ. Uh, I pray that you would help us in our sanctification, uh, that you would help us, uh, for that is, you know, a large purpose of Matthew's gospel, not that we would just um, have a history lesson, but that we would be transformed in the process and that you would change us to be more Christ-like. And so help us to keep your commands and to grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.